Welcome back to another episode of the Sam Petty Podcast. This week I'm joined by Jerry Mattox. He's a friend of mine that I originally met in India and he's a, he's a great inquisitor. It's probably the best way to describe him. And he also has a knowledge for a lot of niche things. And it's one of those things we're going to talk about in the podcast today. And that is UFOs. So welcome to the podcast, Jerry Mattox. Hey, what's up, Jerry? <laughs> I did exactly what I said I wouldn't do. It's a cheesy yeah. intro, but I didn't know what to say. Um, just for There's those... You can say. Exactly. Um, for those um, listening who don't know Jerry, I met him about a year ago in Rishikesh, Northern India on a yoga teacher training, as you do, you tend to meet people. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, uh, in the last couple of months, I sort of noticed Jerry posting a little bit more on Facebook about UAP and UFOs. And when I met Jerry in India, I didn't really think of him as a kook or some crazy person. I thought he was extremely skeptical and very rigid in his views. So I started to look into it more. And then I noticed more things happening in the media and podcasting uh, of this talk of UFOs. And I started to get into it. So I just wanted to get everyone uh, to, I wanted to get everyone listening to start thinking about it too. So I brought Jerry onto the podcast so we can talk a little bit more. So welcome. Hey, thanks, man. Yeah, like you said, I, I did this post on Facebook a little bit ago, which was kind of me for the first time being really outward in the fact that I've, I've been following it for years, the, the UFO thing, but it's always kind of been like intellectual junk food for me mm. a little bit. And that uh, it's something that there's really no actual firm, firm evidence for. We don't have a craft. They haven't landed on the White House lawn. And so my kind of skeptical materialist background where I was big fan of Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins and all these guys. They're kind of like my intellectual uh, heroes. And especially being from Iowa in the United States, I was kind of like, I don't know, I couldn't really take uh, the UFO thing seriously. But lately, it's really progressed and it's gotten a lot different. And there's a lot of uh, government, the Pentagon has released that they haven't actually had a program for some time studying this. Mm. And there's just so much stuff that's come out in the last few years. So yeah, So let's talk to, whilst we begin, because there'll be a lot of people listening who've never really heard anything about this. They have maybe seen stuff, but not really thought deeply into it. So let's talk a little bit first about these recent um, videos and pieces of evidence that have been started to be littered out into the media a lot more in the last 20 years. So I don't know which one you want to start with. Maybe the one you find most convincing. Some of the older cases. Yeah. So I think uh, let's do one from England. So this is kind of cool. So you want to talk about Rendlesham Forest? Yeah, we can do Rendlesham. Okay, cool. So this was at an uh, RAF base, uh, Bentwater and Woodbridge. So it was near Suffolk, England. It was in 1980. And what happened was there were three guards and they were just patrolling the base, doing their thing, and they thought that a plane had crashed in the forest nearby. So they actually went out there and walked towards this place, and what they realized is that something hadn't crashed. There was a triangular craft that had landed in the forest, according to their testimony. And so they walk up to it, and one of the guys actually puts his hand on it. 
It's a, it doesn't look like a normal craft. It doesn't look like anything anybody had ever seen. And there's runes and glyphs on the side of it. And they said that it had an area around it where they had to walk through and it was like walking kind of through water. But then once they got really close to it, everything got clear. And uh, so that's very, very odd. Um, there's some more details there, but uh, basically after that happened, a couple days later, the colonel of the base uh, was alerted that they're back, that there's more lights, there's more UFOs going on. And so he thinks that this whole thing is just ridiculous and he wants to put an end to it. He goes out there with a tape recorder and four officers and they're walking around and these video, or not the video, but the, uh, the recordings are just unbelievable. You can hear him and he's just so weirded out. He's like, is it coming over here? Is it coming over? And it's moving through the trees. It's just a very large red glowing orb. Uh, he says it's intelligently piloted and it's going through the trees and they see it right after they get to the site where the craft had landed a couple days before. And at that place, they actually had Geiger counters and uh, the radiation, there were three indentations in the ground and the, the radiation there was actually quite high. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, after they found that, they're then being chased around the forest by a UFO. And it's just, you can tell when you listen to the recording that these men are genuinely freaked out. And a little bit after that, um, they said that it kind of exploded into five orbs and then they shot in every direction. Um, and then that night there was a lot of uh, radar recordings of craft because I think there was like five craft that came in from the north and they're hovering around and they're shooting down beams of light. And um, this is a nuclear storage facility in park. They do have some nuclear weapons on the base. So this is, uh, and I, I don't know if I mentioned, but this is a, an American base uh, jointly operated with the RAF. So it was yeah, American it, officers that, that noticed it and yes. went. Um, exactly. what's, what's quite um, compelling about this case is the level of, I don't know, military hierarchy that uh, are the witnesses and mm. their, their accounts are very genuine. They're not pushing it, pushing an agenda. They don't have like an idea of it. They're just stating what they saw. I think I can't remember his name. That the guy who touched it, he wasn't James even really or okay. Pattinson, something like that. Yeah, Penniston. Penniston. He, he he's gone on video and uh, I think it's a documentary. I don't know what I saw him on, and he's like not even sure it's aliens or whatnot. He's just stating what what he saw, and I think that's what sort of gave it an added factor that this guy had been like throughout his whole military career pretty good he'd been highly recommended he was working his way up he wasn't really going to do anything to forfeit that so for him to mm -hmm. come out and say this stuff and take the colonel out there is, is it's quite compelling yeah and it took 20 or 30 years for these guys to talk about it at all they had kind of a cover story about it um that really downplayed the significance of the event and close to a hundred military guys saw this thing so it's it's, it's a very crazy series of events. Um, of course, the UFO community jumps on it and thinks that it's aliens. And, you know, that's something that I'm really interested in, that hypothesis. But what's clear about a lot of these cases, this is a common thread, is that something did occur. Um, we, you don't have to know what it was 
but to just write it off as crazy people like like you said we've got and then we sorry did it go off yeah it's slightly cut off someone go from crazy people yeah so it's not yeah like i said it's not crazy people this is a sergeant who saw it with a couple other guards and then a couple of days later, the colonel, who was not impressed by this, he was like, what is this? I, I don't like it. I want to put these rumors to rest. You know, people need to get back to work on the base. He goes out there with four officers. And these people know about aircraft. And they're blown away. You can hear it in their voice. So, and we have to honor the eyewitness testimony of people who have nothing to gain and only things to lose by talking about it. And they're trained eyewitnesses. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really interesting. And that's quite a common thread amongst people coming out to talk about it. They really stress that they're not making money from it. They're not uh, endorsing any ideology or any like UFO community or something. They're just giving their life experience. Um, and I, I, I don't know, we can talk a bit on, on the Rendlesham. I thought it's quite good to note for lots of different UFO events and happenings, they tend to feature around military bases. And like you said, nuclear weapons. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, there's a really big connection between really credible UFO sightings or reports and nuclear weapons. Because there's obviously tons of UFO stuff out there. Like the vast majority isn't really credible. Um, or maybe it is, but there's just not enough evidence to have a serious inquiry about it. But whenever the military is involved, it, you know, it's deadly serious. So there's a lot better evidence. And they also have a lot of different instruments and eyewitnesses to be really, really taking down data of what happened. Um, probably the most clear example. So this one involved uh, the weapons storage area where a beam of light went down into that area uh, at the Rendlesham Forest case. There's another one that happened at uh, Malmstrom Air Force Base in 1967. So that's in Montana, the United States. And this is during the Cold War, and there's these missilemen silos, or Minutemen, pardon me, yeah, Minutemen silos, where they have uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles that are armed and ready and waiting for a possible nuclear, you know, nuclear assault. So it's, it's very serious. And at one of these bases, there were lights hovering around in the sky, uh, and the guards on the surface called down under underground into the bunkers and said, we've got aircraft above here, but it doesn't look like anything we've ever seen. They're just glowing red lights. And they're really panicked. And then after a few minutes of this, all of the ICBM missiles, there were, all, there were 10 in that, in that area, one by one turned off. So, um, you know, to a reasonable person, maybe it's a good thing that the nuclear weapons are disarmed. But to those people in that moment, that's a big deal. Like, what if the Russians attack right now? What if the Soviets mm-hmm. attack? We need to shoot missiles back at them. We're, we're defenseless right now. And there just it wasn't a good explanation of how that could happen remotely. This yeah. is in 1967. Like, there's these turnkey operations going on. To do something like that, it needed to be manual. So they weren't sure how it happened. And two weeks later... It took 24 hours to get them back online. Two weeks later, the exact same thing happened where UFOs were overhead. Uh, They didn't know who it was. This is restricted airspace. 
and then remotely all of the missiles were shut down again. And a similar incident, the, the uh, Russians haven't really been as forthcoming uh, publicly with some of their information because I don't think they have an equivalent to the Freedom, Freedom of Information Act. But in 1991, I believe it was, the exact same thing happened there where their missiles were being tampered with remotely in conjunction with unidentified flying objects above the base. And one of the crazy things about that is the reverse happened. They actually started counting down to armed missiles, started counting down to being launched. And they don't know to where or what. But basically, you can imagine being in their shoes. You're in charge of a missile, and it's getting ready to launch. It's got a nuclear warhead on the end of it. And right towards the end of the countdown, it turned off. And they took those machines apart and could not figure out what happened. Mm. So that that is just unbelievable. And if we're going to say that these are intelligently piloted aircraft, they're very interested in nuclear weapons. And they're kind, you know, you could imagine that they might be showing us something. That this is a form of communication. We're interested in these and we have control over them. Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, the fact that the government has, you know, possibly been hiding uh, these capabilities is really something that's concerning for, uh, for like, you know, national defense. Do you, so, yeah. do you think then they're, they're hiding this information intentionally or do you think it's because they're not quite sure what it is yet? Yeah, so I think that the most there's a lot of different contradictory, like some incidents, it seems like they're being hidden. Some incidents, it doesn't seem like it so much. So there's a lot of paradox and confusion in this topic. So I'm not exactly sure, but I, my guess is that they really know that something's going on, but they don't actually have a great idea. I don't think that they are in contact with, you know, the Pleiadians pleadians or some some uh, specific star system with some specific uh alien race and that they know all about it and they're just hiding it i don't really think that the men in black type situation is what's going on i think they're aware of something in our skies and i think they've maybe recovered crashed objects and um that they just don't know what to do with it and i mean it's it pretty much shows that they you know, they're not at the top of the food chain, so to speak. Mm. There's something that's flying circles around us and we don't have anything to do about it. It's really interesting. Yeah. It is. Um, I don't, I think from here, it's quite interesting to talk a bit about how um, people often associate and it's, it's because it's been directed by modern media and films and stuff. When you talk about UFOs, it goes straight to aliens, but, or something that's extraterrestrial in life, but, there's so many other hypotheses to what these craft could be or who's controlling them or I don't know what dimension they're in or how, you know, the technology, like, mm. I don't know. Do you, do you have a personal hypothesis on what they are? Do you think it's extraterrestrial life? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's something it's, it's good that you say this. It's, it's good to let people know that the thing that seems very, very clear is that there are real phenomena occurring that there aren't millions and millions of, well, there are millions of people that are, you know, maybe reporting things that aren't true. There's, there's no doubt about that, but there are certain situations where it's very clear that something is going on. 
And one of the things that the uh, ATIP program that the Pentagon has that's studying these things, um, they are on, they are operating on the assumption that there are intelligently controlled aircraft that are not made by the United States military. So one of the things they're most interested in is have we been technologically leapfrogged in a massive, massive way? Um, one of the things that they talk about, uh, these craft have uh, the six observables or five observables, depending on what you're looking at. And that is um, flight characteristics that a lot of these have such as sudden and instantaneous acceleration. So that's really important because as you'll, you know, if you've ever driven your car, obviously, if you pump the, pump the gas and you start going really fast, you feel your body go back in your seat. Mm -hmm. But if something's accelerating from hovering and really, really fast, thousands and thousands of miles an hour instantaneously, that would kill a human occupant. It would destroy the craft itself. It would crumple it up. So what we're seeing is sudden and instantaneous acceleration that can't be explained by any kind of technology we have today. Uh, hypersonic velocities without the signatures. So a lot of these things are accelerating and going very, very fast without sonic booms. In fact, they're completely mm -hmm. silent. Um, low observability. There's no visible propulsion. There's no uh, plumes in the infrared from uh, you know, fire coming out the back, so to speak. Um, Transmedium travel, they're very often seen going in from space through the air and then under the water and back again. And they don't slow down or anything. Uh, it doesn't really matter what medium they're traveling in a lot of the time. Um, yeah, and then positive lift and also biological effects and radiation. And it should be said that uh, Sergeant James uh, Peddinson, I always get his name wrong. Uh, that we were just talking about with the Rendlesham Forest yeah. situation, the guy who put his hand on it, he mm -hmm. actually got benefits from the Veterans Affairs, uh, the, the VA. Um, he got medical benefits because it actually gave him radiation poisoning to some extent. Mm. I'm not exactly clear on the details, but he was uh, got some kind of an illness from from touching mm. this thing, and that and he's gotten paid for it. Um, but yeah, I know like you were, oh sorry. No, I was going to say, um, I'm going to see if it doesn't crash the whole thing, but I'm going to try and pull up a video and share the mm. screen so that people watching on YouTube, uh, we can try and describe it to those listening. I don't know if you can see that. Um, but this is the recent Pentagon uh, video, which they released in April. Um, it was leaked initially, and I think it was three videos overall. I don't know yeah. how I think five minutes of video or something, which had been yeah. leaked. Um, and then they confirmed it. And if we just play a bit, you can, we can sort of test those five observables that you were talking about and uh, compare it to, to them and see if it holds up. If I just play it now. So for those not um, watching, what we're seeing is it's like a tracked white dot. It's, it's in an infrared, I think, or the, They've managed to pick it up by color and they managed to trap it and they're just tracking it. Um, and then suddenly it's that bit there where it just shoots off to the left. Yeah. And the, so, you, you go ahead. I was going to say, um, I'm pretty sure this is the, uh, um, the Tic Tac UFO. 
Yeah, yeah the tic tac I think that's the gimbal. No, no, not the gimbal. Sorry. That's the um, one from the Nimitz. So that was yeah, off Nimitz, of, yes. of uh, California. And yeah, Commander David Fravor uh, was part of a nuclear strike, or not a nuclear strike, sorry, but a carrier strike group, a nuclear powered aircraft uh, carrier. And they see this tic tac moving around. And the first time they see it, and it had been observed on radar for, for actually weeks. And they go out and they go to investigate it. And it's hovering above the ocean, going forward, backwards, left and right, very, very rapidly. So kind of in a cross type motion. And underneath the surface of the ocean is a raising large object. And they don't know what that is. And that's when they see it. And then he said it was just pulling maneuvers, just instantaneously jumping all around. And it was actually jamming them when they were trying to lock onto it. Yeah. Uh, the video you just saw at one point in the video, they're tracking it and then it just shoots left and they can't really track it anymore. It's, it's going too fast. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing, if you against those five observables you were talking about, um, yeah. it's not showing any, firstly, it's showing that instant acceleration. This thing's hovering in the air, just keeping still, and then it suddenly moves left. I there's not a single aircraft in the world that can do that. The best fighter jets in the world have to be pulled off the the um the the, the boats with whatever it is. I can't remember they they're attached and then they have their engines on as well just to move a fraction of the speed. And then yeah. also there's there's no clear sonic boom or anything like that. There's also no plumes from it. There's nothing, no heat being detected. I mean when you see planes fly off, they have huge plumes behind them. I mean, this isn't trans. This this video I'm showing here is not the transmedium one, but that that it is occurring in the other ones. And um, there's a lot of uh, I don't know. It's there's there's some people that think there are there's people that have said there are longer versions of these three videos. There are three videos that were released and have been some of the most interesting videos and evidence put forward on the topic. And um, but what's interesting is that these people also had eyewitness testimony of it that isn't on camera uh, doing a lot of things that, that was much more impressive. And um, yeah, it, if, if an entire strike group is focused on this object, I mean, let's just think about how many resources that is to be diverting an entire strike group from whatever it was trying to do um, and now it's looking at these, uh, these UFOs. I mean, this is kind of a big deal. Um, mm. Yeah, it's just fascinating. And they, they don't have any wings. They don't seem to have any visible propulsion. So everything that we have, you have to shoot something out the back and it makes you go forward. Think of rockets, think of jet aircraft, stuff like that. And they just don't seem to have that. And it's, it's really, really fascinating. And um, Commander David Fravor has been... You know, there's a really good Joe Rogan interview with him. That's maybe the one thing that I recommend more than anything else to someone who might be skeptical. I think that video really shows, again, like with the guys before, it's a military guy who, you know, is rather embarrassed about this. He's he's not super thrilled that, well, I think he's he's interested in it, but especially at the time, I don't think it was a, a good thing for his reputation. And he mm -hmm. came forward nonetheless. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, were you about I'm, to say something else? 
Yeah, I was going to say, you, you asked me earlier, and I don't, I don't mean to dodge the question of what I think that this might be. Um, there's a lot of people that think it might be technology, either by the United States or another foreign power, um, that has been kept secret. I don't think that, although I think that's a really reasonable thing to think might be the case, uh, it might be good to consider that most secret programs like that won't be kept under wraps more than about 15 years. At some point, you let it out and you start using it. Otherwise, keeping it secret just diverts resources and like, what's the point? Mm. And we've seen these same five or six observables going back 70 years now. So, you know, people were having similar reports, um, you know, the RAF and the American uh, Air Force during World War II, they called them Foo Fighters. Um, we've seen these kinds of craft for a long time. So is it conceivable that there was such a technological advance that happened so long ago and still been kept secret? I just don't think that's a reasonable hypothesis. Uh, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And, and there's also technology thing. that can completely liberate the world from a lot of problems. And I think that any government to, to keep that under wraps for such a long time is testing the morality of all those people keeping it secret for that amount of time. And I don't think you'd be able to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one of the main hypotheses that's being put forward for what kind of technology we're looking at is gravity propulsion devices, um, basically altering space and time so that the craft falls forward. So if you think about maybe, uh, I don't exactly know how this would work because obviously it's a hypothetical technology, but, if you think about warp drives in Star Trek or Star Wars or something, you're shrinking space in front of you and expanding it behind you and you fall forward in a, in a weird way. I wouldn't know how to describe it, but yeah, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And um, that kind of technology, like you said, would completely change the world. It would just, I don't know. Uh, I, it's hard to fathom. It's hard to imagine. And it's, not, um, it's technology, which is being studied now. It's, at CERN, the Hadron Collider, and uh, they mm. haven't really successfully done it yet, but the creation of black holes and things like that is suggesting yeah. that it is a, maybe in the future, but there's something that's definitely possible. Yeah, it's far beyond the leading edge of physics. Um, yeah. We don't have a good handle, uh, apart from what Einstein discovered with space time, we don't have a great handle on, like, I don't think we've discovered a graviton, a particle mm. that gives gravity um i don't know i'm going to get into physics and i'm going to get lost i don't know what to say about that but um i think the alien thing the extraterrestrial explanation for these craft is one that fits nicely within our worldview our ontology mm. um because you know we are here we're biological organisms and now we're finding that there's a lot of planets in uh, our galaxy and maybe many galaxies in the universe. So the possibility of there being life out there, there being aliens is, is very high. The mm. question of whether they come here is the only thing that most scientists will really um, argue about. And that fits nicely to within the materialist scientific perspective is that, you know, extraterrestrials could exist. We're looking for them, you know, looking for microbes and stuff on Mars. Um, some of the moons of Jupiter, we're looking for life there. Um, but 
I think that that's very fascinating. It's probably the thing I believe is most likely, but there is also, we need to realize how little we know about reality. Like our brains did not evolve to determine what's real and what truth is. Uh, It, you know, evolved to be fit and to survive in a Darwinian type of situation. So yeah, there's so many options of what could actually be going on. Uh, Carl Jung had a really interesting hypothesis that if you're familiar with Jung's work, he believed kind of in a collective unconscious that we all share to some extent. And he believed that certain psychic pressures of our species could manifest. And uh, he would call these psychoids, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And basically, if you think about kind of a psychic phenomenon that comes out physically, it's physically represented and it could actually show up on radar or something like that. So this is one of those really strange hypotheses. The more you read Jung, the more reasonable he seems, but a lot of his stuff seems pretty crazy on the surface. But I mean, we really don't know all that much about consciousness. So it's, Mm. it's not completely out of the question that this could be some kind of a psychic manifest manifestation he thought that the UFO phenomena represented kind of flying mandalas, symbols of human totality. So I think that's fascinating. Um, I think a lot of people wouldn't find that very compelling or convincing. Um, but there's a lot of other options as well. Uh, it, they could be rather than from a distant star system, they could be uh, interdimensional travelers. Um, that's highly possible. Um, it's been floated because uh, a lot of the alien abduction cases, close encounters of the third kind, that these aliens, we all know the classic large cranium, very yeah, large. The classic, the classic short idea Yeah, the, the, the grays, as people say. And um, yeah, that some people have postulated that that kind of looks like us if we became more frail and less physical, so maybe us in thousands of years. Um, Further down the evolution. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, less, less, less physicality and more cerebral, more temporal. Or Basically what's temporal. been happening to our bodies for the last thousands of years anyway. So yeah. Getting <laughs> progressively less badass, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, it, it, I mean, who knows? Yeah. So they, it could be us traveling back in time and um, studying ourselves. Um, or warning ourselves, I don't know, or diverting problems, I don't know, interfering. Absolutely. The, um, uh, so once you start to recognize that there might be something to this, you go from looking at all of these instances of these craft that have been observed on radar, um, they're being tracked by missile guidance systems. People are observing them. They're in infrared. They're on video. You've got all of these different data points that you can look at and point to and say, this might be a real phenomenon. Then you can start looking at things that might have previously seen, seemed um, a bit less likely and more far-fetched, such as alien abduction cases. And if you go into that, I would recommend John E. Mack, Dr. John E. Mack. He was a psychiatrist at uh, Harvard Medical School. And... um, I don't know if he's still alive, but he's, he was a tenured professor for many years. And he's, in my opinion, the real credible person who looks at this phenomenon and takes it seriously without going down the rabbit hole into really kind of 
places where you just think that this person's a bit of a kook. Um, he's very interesting, but some of the patterns he describes of people who claim that they've been abducted by aliens or in contact with them or these entities, whatever they might be. Um, one interesting thing that they say is that they're very concerned about the environment and they're very concerned about nuclear weapons and that they think that we are on a trajectory towards, uh, you know, civilizational collapse and that they're mm-hmm. trying to convince us not to do that, try to bring about a higher state of consciousness within us. And I mean, they could be made up or whatever, but it, it seems really, um, I mean, that, that is something that is really on the surface of conversation in our civilization. Now people talk about these kind of apocalyptic um, environmental situations and uh, the threat of nuclear weapons has been hanging over our heads like a sword of Damocles mm-hmm. since the forties. So, so if those, if both those situations are true, this hypothesis, doesn't it become like a sort of point where we're facing a species potentially, which is so far more intelligent than our, ourselves and more capable and has the ability to interfere or maybe divert the future that this becomes almost meaningless to study because we're so far behind. It's like an ant studying a human. Hmm. I don't know. What yeah, do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, if there is an extraterrestrial um, civilization that is visiting us from another star system, I mean, the, it's hard for the human brain to wrap, wrap itself around how far these distances are. If we wanted to go to the nearest star, I think it's uh, Proxima Centauri, and it's somewhere around two and a half light years away. So the speed of light is unbelievably fast. It's 300,000 kilometers a second. I mean, every second, like it's just unbelievably fast. And it would take us years going that speed to get to the nearest star. And that's not even to say that it's habitable or it's somewhere we'd want to go. Um, So you can imagine if a species is traveling those kinds of distances to get to us, like you said, it's what, what would an ant with this little ant hill look up at us while we're making the Hoover dam or, you know, or uh, some other technological marvel it would have no idea what's going on. Like if you, if you have a cat in the room with you and you're like clicking on the, the keyboard and you're, you're on your computer, what the hell would the cat think you were doing? It would just think like, why does he move like that? Has no clue. To, for us to try to interpret what they might be thinking about us or what they might be trying to doing, that, um, for example, we have a lot of movies where human beings are in conflict with aliens that is that that's going to stay in the movies because there would be no way if something was visiting us from that far away, the technological difference would just be so vast there, there'd be, yeah, I mean, it, their technology would be indistinguishable from magic to, hmm. to us. So it's, yeah, it's so fascinating. Think- scary too. If you think about it. Cause in fiction, the discovery of aliens or of aliens or anything visiting this planet is, met with chaos and fear and trepidation uh Mm -hmm. do you think that would be the response if the pentagon or someone was to come out and say yes we have uh, we have an alien say or we have a a craft and we're going to show it to everyone Mm -hmm. what do what do you think the global response would be so if i want to put my tinfoil hat on and get a little conspiratorial i would say that if you wanted to disclose something like this 
you would actually do something very similar to what we've seen, uh, which is a very slow acclimatization of the populace to this new reality. Back in the 50s, if you asked people, like, do you think aliens exist? They'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, very, very few people would think that that was reasonable. Nowadays, mm. it's, it's kind of hard to find people who say absolutely not. No, nowhere mm. in the universe is there life other than here. You'd have on to go that, to actually, on something you sent me, it was quite a large proportion of religious people actually believing in aliens, which I found quite interesting. Oh, uh, really? even, even Christians, yeah. And that, that, yeah, for that sort of like community it. to really believe it is, is tantamount yeah. to how obvious some of the evidence is now. Hmm. No, sorry to I'll, cut you off. I just thought I'd add it. Yeah, no, I'm, it's good. I don't want to, you know, cut out the fundamentalist religious people from, from <laughs> uh, to them. <laughs> we have something new to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating. Um, yeah, I, I think in our culture, we've had more and more exposure to aliens. Like look at the Marvel franchise. There's aliens and interdimensional travelers uh, mm-hmm. coming into the, to the, the biggest box office movies that we're exposed to now. Um, and less conspiratorial is just looking at what the government has actually said, which is these three videos that we've been talking about, the gimbal, the Nimitz encounter, and the go fast videos, which on their own, maybe someone could quarrel about, the veracity of these videos by themselves, but the context of these videos where there's, you know, strike groups that have all sorts of planes that are seeing them. They've got radar eyewitness. Like it's just unbelievable how much evidence there is. Those videos were leaked. And I don't think we're quite aware of where they came from, but I mean, they were government held videos and then they were leaked. And I don't know if we know who actually leaked them. So the government often does stuff like that where it will leak something intentionally and not say that it leaked it because it does want it out there. We see this in politics quite a bit. And then after several years, they said, okay, yeah, those videos are real and those are unidentified. We don't know what they are. Mm -hmm. And then a little later they say, and we have this program called ATIP. And then after that, they'll say, oh yeah, ATIP, that stopped 12 years ago. And then they'll say, actually, it's still going. And we're doing another one, the, uh, the UAPTF, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force, was just uh, revamped by the Pentagon. So the Pentagon has, um, yeah, a lot of people studying this topic right now. And um, I don't know if it was that one you're talking about, the UAPTS or whatever, um, but it was, it was something I read that it, it is funding, they noted, and it was extremely low. It was 22 million. I don't know if you know which task mm. force was put towards. And I thought in, in terms of the scale of the budget for the US military, that's tiny. And yeah. I thought that, that seemed weird. I feel like you would either not bother giving money at all or mm. you would do a lot more. Yeah, and I think it was 22 million over like, over a, few it was over, it was over a few years as well. Yeah. And um, that was ATIP, and, uh, which is the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. And that was headed up by a guy named uh, Luis, Eliz- Luis Elizondo, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, it's really a pathetic amount of money. But what we don't know is, are there other task force that we're unaware of? Um, and uh, but yeah, it, it's not enough money is going into it. I'm less and less of the opinion that the government, uh, as 
a lot of people in the government know about this. If anyone knows that we have crashed um, aircraft, I've crashed uh, UFOs, it's probably a very small number of people. And I just wanted to read something. Um, there was a New York Times article that just came out and they, this is a quote from the New York Times, numerous associates of the Pentagon program, the UAPTF, with high security clearances have reported that the New York Times uh, to the New York Times that off-world vehicles not made on this earth have been recovered. So there are people talking to the New York Times and they're reporting this, that that's the case, that we do have recovered aircraft. Um, mm. That's so, probably quite a good um, time to then move on to the story of Bob Lazar, because he was saying this in the 1960s that they've recovered crafts and a lot of other things he's, he's talked about have also been proven true in recent that, years. 1980s actually i think it was like 80s yeah i think it was 89 when he came out with it yeah Um, but when was he working on it was it in the 80s as well yeah so um this the story of bob lazar it's in in the whole ufo community it's a bit people fight over this one because there's a lot of uh contradictory ways to spin the narrative to make it look more and less plausible I think that it's very interesting and it's something that I keep in mind that this could be the case. And it's only gotten more plausible since these videos came out. And since people are talking about off-world vehicles being recovered, I think there's a renewed surge of interest in Bob Lazar because his story is being correlated by what we're seeing. And um, a lot of the things that people have tried to use to discredit his story seem that they could have been um, attempts by the government to discredit him. So it's, um, we'll keep that as an uncertainty, but Bob Lazar basically claims that he was recruited by a Los Alamos um, S4. It's like a secret, like kind of an Area 51 type situation, um, a very secret military base. And he was recruited to um, try to reverse engineer crashed alien artifacts, crashed alien craft. Um, and he went in there and he basically has uh, a saucer, a UFO that he's trying to reverse engineer. And this is where a lot of the information about it being a, a gravity propulsion device that powers these things. Uh, that's where a lot of these things come from is, is his testimony. Um, he talks about how uh, it's, it's just a crazy story. Even if you just you can take it as science fiction and it's one of the more interesting things you can listen to. Uh, again, I would recommend his interview with uh, Joe Rogan is quite good. And um, yeah, he was trying to reverse engineer these things. And he basically said that the technology was just, um, yeah, like he said it was like magic. There was no circuits um, that he could see in the craft. It, it might've been controlled by the mind uh, because there was no, control panels or anything like that there was just a few seats in it for very small occupants and um he was given a lot of information while he was working there and he has noted himself that he's not sure what of that information that was given to him is accurate and what of that information might have been fed to him so that if he ever leaked the story they could try to pin down who actually leaked the story. So if you think you're getting a, mm. a piece of paper that's telling you, okay, this is the situation report on these UFOs, maybe they, the government would place a couple uh, personal unique details in the story they gave you so that if the story leaked, they know, oh, it was Bob Lazar who leaked it. So we don't know if that's the case 
or if maybe the papers that he read were completely accurate. But the information, and it was very interesting, they said that some of these air, uh, aircraft were found in archaeological digs. So they were doing an archaeological dig somewhere and they found a alien spacecraft under the earth. Um, if that's true, that's just absolutely mind-boggling. And um, I've always made fun of the Ancient Aliens TV program, uh, but <laughs> those guys are right. That'll be funny. Um, yeah, because uh, it's just kind of a silly program, but... Uh, yeah, and what else does he talk about? Um, what about I the mean, elements? He basically, yeah, right. Um, element 115. Um, basically, he said that these things were made out of a super dense, amazing future technology material. Uh, element 115, which isn't even stable in the way that we... Actually, at the time when he talked about it, it didn't exist. So he was saying element 115, uh, that's what it's made out of. And a lot of people scoffed and said that doesn't even exist. Mm. And then later, decades later, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, we're able to manufacture it in labs, but it's very unstable and it breaks apart and it doesn't, doesn't stay. Um, but I think it has been acknowledged that it is a thing. And um one of the things going around is that Bob Lazar actually has a piece of uh, element 115. And that's the reason why his labs, because I think he, I believe he's a chemist, um, keep getting raided by the government. And this yeah. is definitely, he keeps getting raided over and over again. Yeah. And the, the reasons why he's being raided keep getting changed, but he's never thrown in jail. It's just that he keeps getting raided. So um, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff with his story. It's so big and expansive. There's so many details, um, that it's hard to, to talk about or keep it straight. But yeah, he, he claims that we have a, about nine, uh, aircraft that have been recovered of, mm. of alien and, um, or entities or whatever they are. And, um, yeah, it's fascinating. His story is really interesting. And again, like, like the military commanders, um, and the way they talk about it is they're very consistent stories. And the same with Bob Lazar, you can see in the, like the podcast of Joe Rogan or his interviews, not only is he consistent now and was it 1989, but the way he talks about stuff, he's not fantasizing. He's, he's sticking to the point and he, you can, I'm not a psychological expert, but you can tell that he's being quite honest. And um, the things like the FBI raiding him, that seems really weird to consistently rate him parts of his university history and his training have been completely swept under and there's no records of him. I don't think there's a birth certificate anymore that that yeah. got his taken away. Been... It's all his records have been wiped. Um, and also what I find interesting is when you type him into Google or go into like his Wikipedia, there's quite a big emphasis on, the illegalities of his life. I think he was caught in some prostitution ring or something or, mm. uh, or, or some mentioning his divorce and things like that. Like they mentioned very personal attributes to his life, which tried to like de devalidate his, his claims, which I find mm. quite peculiar as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's way, and that's pretty unusual in this space where the majority of things that you encounter about somebody will be the debunking right off the bat. Mm. Um, 
the general rule of the internet is you kind of have to search to debunk things. But with Bob Lazar, it seems to be right at the surface. I completely agree. It, it yeah. is a little, uh, so it makes me a little skeptical as well. A little bit sus. Um, I don't, I think, I don't know. I, I think, I don't know. What do you think? Another points we're talking about when we, when I said my first question, like what's the strongest bits of evidence? I don't know. We've gone through the sort of main observable ones, but you sent me a kind of like philosophical way of thinking of things about a fourth dimension and not, mm. not just using evidence, but using our brains to think about what possibly could be out there. I don't know if you want to talk anything about that or it's quite yeah. complicated philosophy. I was struggling a bit with it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of me speculating basically. So we're going into speculation territory. Um, I mentioned a little bit of it before uh, and that's, we just really, I think that we need to recognize that we have created a worldview and that this worldview, this ideology is so deeply held in us that sometimes we can't see um, the confines of it. Um, so for instance, uh, we thought that the world, the, the earth was the center of the universe and Galileo showed, no, that's not really the case. Copernicus and Galileo. Um, we think that we have complete autonomy over our minds and Freud and psychologists, psychologists say, no, there's a lot going on the deep unconscious that we're unaware of. We don't, uh, free will is a bit more skeptical. Um, there's this continuous rocketing of, of human beings away from this egocentric view of ourselves mm. being very important. Um, Darwinian evolution shows that we have a common ancestor with all the other creatures on this planet. And we, oh, we might, who knows, but we were probably not God's chosen creature. And it's just us. And then all the animals were made for our benefit. doesn't seem to be the case. Mm. And I'm of the opinion that um, science rigidly patrols the boundaries of what it knows. And any information that comes up that contradicts this worldview makes us feel uncomfortable and we rigidly police those things. So you see a lot of new theories are often uh, that have the capability of bringing a paradigm shift are very hotly contested in the moment. And I think we need to continuously remind ourselves that we do not have hardly anything figured out about the mm -hmm. world. I think we have this pinhead of knowledge in this sea of reality. And our perspective is that of a, homo sapien we're a primate on one planet in the universe and we just really need to continuously remind ourselves that science is an incredibly valuable tool and the materialist scientific worldview is a very valuable tool that's of you know obviously revealed so much to us but at the same time um we need to remember that it's based on certain assumptions and those assumptions could be wrong um, our, the empirical uh, way of going about things with our five senses, those are almost certainly not representing reality as mm. it actually is. It's just our perception. So from that, it just opens up a whole you know, vast category of, you know, are there entities that are a part of this earth that um, kind of indigenous people talk about? Is there something to that? Um, uh, fellow Englishman with you, uh, I think his name is James Lovelock, 
has this Gaia theory and he wouldn't like what I'm about to talk about with respect to his theory because I'm really speculating and extrapolating on it. But he talked about certain geophysical processes uh, in the earth that maintains the earth in a habitable zone of life. So basically there's certain processes that keep it nice and stable, not getting too hot, not getting too cold. And so you could look at it from kind of a weak Gaia perspective where this just, it's a self-regulating system and it's really fascinating, but there's no intelligence behind it. Or you could go a little bit of a stronger Gaia hypothesis that the earth is alive and living and it is intelligent, but the intelligence is so, intelligence is so different from ours that we might not, um, we might not accept it or understand it or even recognize it as being intelligent whatsoever. Um, we, it's taken us ages to recognize the intelligence and the emotions of our fellow creatures. Um, you know, people nowadays are very willing to say that dogs have some form of consciousness. It's a little bit different from ours, but they, mm-hmm. they think and feel in something, you know, analogous to us. It would be interesting if evolution created completely different ways of perceiving the world and didn't, uh, save on the costs by using the same software or iterations of the same software in different creatures. But anyway, I'm getting away from the Gaia theory. If I um, was just to break it up, yeah, how do you yeah. think that we can sort of unwind ourselves from this kind of belief mechanism? And because there's so many people that are completely bound by beliefs and ultimate truths or absolute truths. Mm-hmm. I think the main one obviously is religion. It, the vast majority of people in the world are religious how how are we going to get to a point where we recognize alternative theories like as a global on a global scale mm. do you think it would I just mean, come over time or do you think we can actually break it because it seems to be for most of modern history this kind of way yeah that's a very interesting question um i mean i think science even though it could be interpreted that i'm kind of criticizing science a little bit um i think science has done more for that than anything else because it's trying to take our perspective about how we think things ought to be. And it's trying to remove the person from the, uh, from the equation It's trying to see it in an objective way. Um, I think that we are on a developmental path as a species that is revealing more and more to us about ourselves and about our place in the universe. And I think that, it's just going to slowly, slowly happen. I, uh, I, I don't really have a firm, good answer. No. How to that. We're just showing, um, you know, it, it's okay to have facts and to have a, an established worldview of what's going on. But the ability to decamp from that worldview and try to look at things from a different perspective, I mean, it's, it's incredibly valuable um, to not be too certain about uh, what we think we know because once an ideology becomes set it becomes somewhat invisible it's the water in which we swim and you know it's hard to see uh what it is um and i think i mean geez meditation is fantastic and yoga and stuff like that's that's something i would recommend um just getting more familiar with how your own brain works if you want to if you want to figure out how your brain's working just sit down and observe it for 20 minutes a day you know i think this probably sounds obvious but it's hard and it's yeah isn't it yeah (laughs) 
been years and uh, just trying to get to 20 minutes a day consistently. It's very difficult. It's, it's extremely difficult. Um, so what, what kind of things are you thinking about main scientific advancements that are liberating us from this worldview? Are you, are you talking about like when we go to other planets and find life or and things like the exoplanets or what is it? Um, what kind of technologies are liberating us from this worldview? Well, well like our, you're talking about the science that, that's, pro, that's made us progress. I just wanted yeah. a few examples because some people might not be aware. Lots of people just know the day-to-day tend to ignore these things. Sure. Actually, that's a good segue back into the Gaia thing for just a minute because uh, James Lovelock is, a, is a, a brilliant independent scientist. And his theory is fantastic. And I think that science is continuously showing us that we are intricately connected with one another. Um, You know, I am an ecosystem, a collection of different organisms. My stomach has all sorts of different bacteria that I have symbiotic relationships with. The mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell, um, some people think that it was at one point a, a separate organism from human beings and we uh, brought it into our cell in this kind of permanent symbiotic relationship. I'm not a biologist, so I don't know how to describe it, but we are not these solitary selves. We are a collection of different organisms. And if you look at yourself in the mirror or a picture of yourself rather from seven years ago, the majority of the cells in your body have been replaced. Um, these are things that we know through different um, knowledge seeking perspectives including science and uh something like the gaia theory that is a perspective of the earth that is and how connected everything is that is becoming more and more in vogue and um one of the things i wanted to mention about that is something that i'm curious about is if the earth does have geophysical processes to keep life stable and if we want to go further and say it's actually intelligent, and if we want to go further and say it's intelligent and we're intelligent, and maybe there's crossover of consciousness in some strange way, because consciousness is something we really don't have a good, good grasp on. The hard problem yeah. of consciousness is just, it's one of those things that we pretend like we've, oh, yeah, yeah we, you, can, you can write whole books on it, but it's just an absolute mystery. And um, is it possible that the earth is in one of these processes to keep our planet stable is now projecting psychic projections of UFOs into the air and then having it abduct us and tell us, by the way, you're crashing the planet. By the way, we don't like nukes. Take care of the environment. You're polluting the air. Is it possible that the only way that the earth can communicate to us is to appeal to us within our worldview our materialist worldview of here's an alien from another place on high coming to you and giving you a message in the only language that we will understand anymore. Um, Perhaps in the past, the earth communicated to humans in different ways, maybe fairies and uh, stuff like that. And I know how goofy it sounds, but um, I don't let, I let these things come in. I think about them. I, I'm not going to go out advocating that fairies are real and we need to get more. <laughs> Some record. Jerry says yeah. fairies aren't real. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like these are, these are speculations, but 
I'm very committed to keeping my mind very, very open, especially when we're talking about something as profound as uh, these, these sightings, these UFO reports that we're seeing. It's just, it's clear that we, something from the outside of our perspective, from the outside of knowledge, from the outside of science is intruding in on our worldview. And a lot of people are saying, no, that can't be, that's impossible. I'm committed to saying I'm going to keep myself open and I'm going to try to think about this a little bit. Um, but that kind of and, response itself is quite, um, I don't know the word about a self-centered, at least like um, individual, like human centric, because you're still thinking that the earth is going to dialogue with us because if these mechanisms of conversation are happening through psychic visions of UFOs, why are we so special compared to other animals or species to like mm. look after the planet? Because surely they can be talked to as well. Yeah. yeah, true. I don't know. I think, um, I mean, for one thing, we don't know that giraffes aren't seeing uh, UFOs. It's completely possible. No, uh, no mm. but uh, I think the only difference is, is that we really have the capacity to destroy the entire planet. I think we're the only organism that has reached some kind of an escape velocity on its ability to cause tremendous harm to the planet. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. uh, It really is within our ability to set off all the nukes that we have, get into a nuclear war and just, I mean, we're creating an extinction event right now. Uh, The, some people think that the background extinction rate, uh, extinction rate of species, which is always going on, species are always going extinct. But some people think it's over a thousand times normal. Um, Why? Yeah. So it's 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 hard to make uh, a good estimate on that, but it's it's clear that we're really causing a lot of harm. So it, it makes sense to me. But I, I do understand what you mean. It is that's another thing we need to think about is. Uh, anytime we want to put ourselves in the exact center of something, we need to check our own motives. So that's, that's a good thing to bring up. Yeah. It's quite funny you talking about that with the poster thing on your right, the like hippie rug thing. <laughs> that's actually from Rishikesh. Oh, is it? Okay. Yoga. Yeah. Yeah. It's my, um, it's my beach towel, but I, I put it up on my wall. So it's, it's, a, it's actually a mandala as well. So. Okay. The only thing I brought back and it was quite sneaky is I took a brick from the Beatles ashram and put it in like a box oh, so, I can, so I can have, cause I'm really into music. So I yeah. thought, and it's one of the, I think it's the best Beatles album, um, the white album, which was written there. So I just yeah. took it as like some, I don't know, cool thing to have to say that that's, that's a brick from where the Beatles wrote and this we album. Together, right. We went to yeah, the, yeah. together. Okay. I remember that. yeah a big group of people yeah that was yeah that that was fun um (laughs) we diverted ourselves off i'm not i'm not really sure what to go on to next or if anything i don't know what 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 is what have you got written down on your side got some notes let me just see what we're um you because you've you've saturated a lot of my notes and yeah you don't i'm they may sound you may think that you're waffling you are covering quite a lot of stuff which makes it really good yeah it's all I'm, condensed well i'm a bit of a, a, sh- a shotgun blast and it's kind of all over the place sometimes i might do with some organization but um <laughs> there's i mean 
one of the things to keep in mind is there's just so many unbelievable cases that once you start to go down the rabbit hole a little bit, and even if you want to restrict the cases to ones that have profound amounts of evidence or eyewitness testimony, there's so much there. Um, there are, um, for one thing, something that might be interesting is there are patterns of what type of craft, we'll call them, are spotted. There's a lot of Tic Tacs that we saw with um, in the Nimitz encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, just glowing, glowing objects, just balls of light type things, which was often explained as ball lightning. But um, and I'm sure there's a lot of UFO cases that seem to be just ball lightning, and people are misidentifying them. But obviously, when you catch something on radar, it's probably not ball lightning. Um, there are also the black triangles, so very, very large triangular craft with um, lights on the bottom. And this is a very, very common type of craft that's seen a lot. And there was actually a wave of sightings in Belgium in 1990 uh, of black triangular shaped craft all over Belgium. Um, mm. And you can actually see on some nights, the, uh, if you look at a map, you can see it's going in a line. So people are reporting it in one place and then due west, they'll report it. um, And then an hour later, even farther west. And you can see that there's really something going on. And there's uh, a general called uh, De Brouwer, I think. De Brouwer. Um, (laughs) My wife is Dutch, so I'm probably screwing up. (laughs) I'm just embarrassing myself. But, um, and he's a general and he claimed like, uh, what did he say? It was a real series of events that cannot be explained. He said, he said they have no idea what it was, but anyone who's saying that this didn't happen or that this is a hoax or something like that, he's saying, you know, this was caught on the Belgian national radar system as well as the uh, NATO radar system. Mm-hmm. Like this is a real event. It actually happened. And it's just fascinating when you've got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people calling in seeing the exact same thing um the phoenix lights situation in um phoenix arizona i think it was i think it was 1997 and same thing thousands of people saw it and um the the governor of the state actually saw it as well and it caused a big panic and um later uh, that night when they saw it the air force scrambled a bunch of jets to go out and see what it was and then later, the Air Force tried to say that it was a bunch of flares that were seen. When people were saying, you know, I was looking up and seeing something that was the size of a football field or, or even bigger, actually. And it had lights on it and it had all of these, you know, they're making these big descriptions of seeing a craft. And then they say it was flares. But flares are in a line and they slowly drop down. Yeah. And you're really insulting people's intelligence and the governor of the state himself said, I saw a craft. And if the air force is going to say that it was just flares, then why did they scramble jets to go track down their own flares? You know? So there's, there's so many cases that are very, very compelling. Um, uh, Do you, did you see anything about the aerial school in Zimbabwe that I sent you some stuff on? I saw it landed and, I think they did they even see figures. Yeah. So so this is a cool one. Maybe we'll talk about this a little bit. Um so this was at the aerial school in Zimbabwe. Uh it was 
kind of a, an elementary or middle school type situation. I think that, well, I think it was, there were kids there from ages seven to 12, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And there were 60, 70, 80 children out at recess. There was one teacher who was kind of at a, like a snack bar type thing, giving kids food. And the rest of the teachers were in the school and they were having a teacher's meeting or something, going over school stuff. And at least 60 children run out of the, of like the main area of the recess and they go out kind of behind it because they've seen a UFO landing. So they go out and they see something that's actually kind of described. It's a craft that's kind of similar to a lot we've seen. It's not really a plane. It's just kind of an object like a Tic Tac. And it's landed and all of these kids are sitting out there stunned. And they say that two beings come out um, and they have large heads. They have large angular eyes. And it's basically kind of a classic classic gray uh alien and they're only like four or five feet tall they're they're quite short and all of these children see this thing and they're terrified and a lot of the kids um were interviewed by the guy i mentioned before dr johnny mack of harvard harvard psychiatrist and i mean the the interviews with these kids are profound i mean it's so crazy to listen to their story. And for me, I just have this feeling of overwhelming belief in their testimony, that they are really telling the truth of what they saw. One of the teachers makes an observation that they weren't believing it at first, because these kids, after the, the beings went back in the craft and zoomed away, the kids ran and like they said, like a snake of these children running across the pra- playground to the teachers to report what they saw. And they said, we have no idea how you could get those kids to do the same thing of anything. Like we, we yeah. try to get them to do the same thing all the time or to learn a story or to do this, to think that, you know, close to a hundred, I think there were 60 kids that were interviewed, but more than that saw something. And to think that they all did the same thing or they had the same story that they made up. Uh, John Mack is a, is a professional and he's uh, separating the kids out. And he's interviewing them one by one. The stories were the, like the exact same thing. Um, you would yeah. expect um, at least one kid to like fault and give it up or yeah. say, "Yeah, we made this up." Yeah, and, or and get this scared. Was, this was 25 years ago, and not a single one of these kids have come forward and saying, "Like, hey, as an adult, I realized that it was a hoax, or it was this, or it was that. We made it up." I apologize. Mm. No one's come forward like that. They all say the exact same thing. And in keeping with something I mentioned before about um, the possible, the possibility that aliens are here as a means of trying to, to guide us into a different direction away from environmental destruction. A lot of these kids reported that um, in their minds, they were seeing images and having feelings about uh, the earth being polluted, about the air being polluted, about death and destruction, civilizational collapse, stuff like that. Mm. And John Mack is interviewing them and he's saying, who, who told you this? Like, who, who told you? that?" And they said, the man. He said, the man. You mean the one of the beings? And she said, yes. 
And, and he's saying, how did, how did this thing tell you this? She said, it didn't tell me anything, but it was just in my head. So there is kind of a psychic component that you also see happening after story after story. Um, you do start to see patterns. And um, when investigators realize that these kids didn't have any preconceived notions of UFOs, of aliens, um, or the environment for that matter, um, that nowadays we teach kids a lot about the environment. But I think back then, this was in the early 90s, probably yeah, rural so unlikely. Unlikely, yeah. So it was, it was very, very interesting. Um, there's a movie that came out, a film called The Aerial Phenomenon, and I really recommend people watch that. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, and they've actually done various studies of uh, mass hallucinations, which is a, a phenomenon. And, you know, we've, we've seen this with the, uh, the event at Fatima, where I think there was a few girls that came and said that God had come to them and told them that something was going to happen in a few days. They told the entire town. And then in a few days, uh, basically everyone in the town, thousands and thousands of people saw a very, what they thought was the sun kind of spinning around in circles and, uh, and crashing to the earth or something, some large mass hallucination. And we've seen waves of dancing, like frantic, chaotic dancing where everyone in a town starts dancing and no one knows why. And people dance until they collapse and like just very weird mass hallucinatory events that remain unexplained. And they actually did a, um, I can't remember who published this research, but they were doing a study on mass hallucinations in schools in Africa, particularly. It was a very you know, specific thing. And they would not claim that the aerial school what happened there was a mass hallucination because it didn't fit because all of the kids had the same ideas about what happened. None of them had preconceived notions of aliens and UFO culture or anything like that. And um, they basically said that this seemed like a case that was explained by something else or was indeed true. Mm -hmm. um, at least true in so far as these kids reported something that they believed they saw. Mm. So it's that's a good point i also had it written down the sort of the scale of some of these maths a mass um sightings so i'm glad you brought it up um because mm -hmm. that, that really could convince people so we're coming up to almost the end now i've been like an hour and a half i think it's quite it's quite a long time it's gone quickly but um i don't know if you wanted to suggest anything to people listening who are still interested in what to to look or check out or or anything that's really transformed the way you think of this whole topic? Yeah. Um, I think one of the best resources might be um, a website called What's Up With UFOs. And I sent I'll link this, this below. Yeah. Uh, that one's fantastic because it seems that whoever made it, actually, I, I know the guy who made it, I can't remember his name right now. Um, he wanted one place where a lot of very, very powerful cases are available for people to see in a, in a short way. So you can make your way through this website in about five, five to seven hours, I think it is. And you'll see maybe the most powerful cases that there is something actually going on in, in, this, uh, in this topic. And so that's very interesting. 
Um, other things that uh, have changed the way I think about everything would be uh, yoga, meditation, stuff like that. You have to be a little careful. There's often a lot of, um, you know, it can be a little scammy. The a little the new age stuff can greet. Can, can, yeah, I mean, you have to go in with uh, an open mind, but also um, it, I think it is really nice to have a good scientific understanding to go into that so you can kind of balance it out. But also, um, yeah, I, I, my mind's been really open in the last few years, and I think uh, psychedelics also helps with that as well. Yeah. And that's something that people are, <laughs> people are becoming more and more open and candid about um you know with the exception of the dutch it's been illegal in most places but that's actually starting to turn around i think denver colorado just um has some kind of legality in terms of uh so so yeah yeah no i agree um, yeah i don't have definitely yoga (laughs) yeah, yeah yeah i think these practices are really really important i think um the world and media and all the information that's coming in can be so chaotic. And I find just ways of grounding the mind, calming it down. Um, so when things are unstable, these daily practices that you have uh, keep you centered and equanimous, as they would have said in, in yoga. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's, this is my personal thing. I think other people run, other people crochet i mean there's lots of ways to do it but i'm a big fan of yoga meditation and uh occasional responsible and serious use of um psychedelics not you know taking an eighth of mushrooms and going to your local bar i don't think that's very good we we don't really have a cultural container for these really powerful um entheogenic substances yet but uh i think they're starting to come online i think there's a lot of places that are starting to have retreats and try to form, like I said, cultural containers for such an immense event as a psychedelic experience. Mm. Um, Just being thrown into an ocean of mind on some of these substances can really make you realize how little, how little you know about what's going on around you occasionally. And um, yeah. Should we we leave it on that note there that we know very little after talking for an hour and a half on stuff that we think we know, we actually know nothing. We're <laughs> certain about the aliens, but everything else is uncertain. So that's, that's the takeaway. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, Jerry. I'll send you links and everything and you can post it out. But to everyone listening, um, you've, you've clearly found it somehow. So if you got this far, please subscribe and like and rate and whatever. It helps everything and it helps our viewership. So uh, thank you. And also thank you to Jerry again. And we'll talk yeah. soon about those other topics. Yeah, it sounds good, mate. I'm interested. Okay. Thank you so much.